0: Right. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, June 15th. Today, way back in the day, June 15th, 1215, England's King John put his seal to the Magna Carta, the Great Charter at Runnymede. One of the most important documents in history, it established the principle that everyone is subject to the law, even the king. Among its 63 clauses, To no one will we sell, to no one deny or delay right or justice. No free person shall be seized or imprisoned, or stripped of their rights or possessions, or outlawed or exiled, or deprived of their standing in any other way, nor will we proceed with force against them, or send others to do so, except by the lawful judgment of their equals or by the law of the land. For history buffs, yes, I took out the gendered pronouns. And of course, a great weakness of the Magna Carta was it did not protect all people. Today on The Local, we will start with a quick six news headlines, a look at local graduations in the time of COVID with Julia Oppenheimer, and an interview with Mingus Maps, candidate for Portland City Council, position four.
1: People don't trust the police, and the police don't trust their political leaders. You know, this is a recipe for disaster. This is why we have two weeks of people out on the streets every night, and an elected leadership that seems unable to resolve the problem.
0: First up, it is today's Quick Six. As we start the week, let's catch up on some of the biggest stories driving the news thousands of demonstrators took to the streets this weekend as Portland entered its third week of protests and pioneer statues toppled amid protests at the University of Oregon. Sunday protests marked the 18th consecutive night of protests in Portland seeking justice for the killing of George Floyd, demanding police reform and overall progress in racial justice. Protests started at Jefferson High School, organized by a group called Rose City Justice. To our south in Eugene, protesters on Saturday toppled two long-standing pioneer statues on the University of Oregon campus. The statues have a history tied to the celebration of white conquest. Students had renewed calls for their removal. The Register Guard in Eugene reporting that a small group of protesters knocked the statues off their pedestals. One was dragged to the steps of Johnson Hall, the university administration building. Here was the statement, and I'm quoting from the university. They said the statue's future should be determined through an inclusive and deliberative process, not a unilateral act of destruction. University also said a campus committee had been asked to look into whether the statues and other monuments should be removed. They said the statues will be placed in storage during that process. The pioneer was the first statue on the U of O campus, according to the university website. During the 1919 ceremony in which it was dedicated, the president of the Oregonian Historical Society did give a speech lauding the, and I am quoting, Anglo-Saxon race, end quote. That's according to a hidden history article on the university's library website. The pioneer mother, erected in 1932, was the other statue removed by protesters. Advocate and researcher Brenda Frank told the Register Guard back in 2012 that pioneer mother statues did too much to celebrate the expansion of the American territory and expansion of white occupation of the land. This happens, of course, amidst the toppling of Confederate statues in the South. Here's a new micro segment we're calling the Scuttlebutt. Here is the Scuttlebutt. The legislature is heading into special sessions soon. The Scuttlebutt is it may start before June ends, and that means legislators will start getting their bills to legislative council, known as LC to Capital Cool Kids, as soon as today. That means activists will have a very short window to influence the content of those proposals. We spent an hour a few days ago talking to Senator Lou Frederick, who is leading the charge on police reform in the state Senate. He sponsored 59 bills related to police reform and accountability since taking office 10 years ago, only a few have succeeded. A bill is pushing now is a change in arbitration rules, restricting the ability of arbitrators to overturn police discipline. A big question facing the legislature is how far they should or could go. The proposals so far haven’t been able to pass in previous sessions, so they could seem bold, but now they seem quite modest compared to what advocates are pushing for, or even compared to what several jurisdictions have already done. Another piece of scuttlebutt, the police union has tapped into their alliance with a firefighters union and they are working to enlist other public labor allies to help block Senator Frederick's arbitration bill. Meanwhile, some activists are trying to push for a more omnibus police reform bill beyond just a bill on arbitration. We'll have more on this story as it moves beyond the scuttlebutt. Your daily dose of data this past weekend marked a continuation of an upswing in confirmed COVID-19 cases. On Saturday, Oregon saw 158 new cases. On Sunday, 101 new cases statewide, bringing the total confirmed caseload to 5636. Three more deaths over the weekend brought the state total of confirmed COVID-19 deaths to 174. The bulk of Sunday's new cases stem from the Portland metro area, 32 in Multnomah County, 10 in Clackamas, 13 in Washington County, also 20 new cases in Marion County, that's Salem. Food processors and agricultural sites account for 600 diagnosed cases since mid-April. Of the current workplace outbreaks, 14 out of the 24 of them are in agriculture or food processing. Pacific Seafood has closed five of its seafood processing plants after 132 workers got diagnosed. Precision Cast parts has announced the largest manufacturing layoff yet. It's one of Oregon's leading manufacturing companies, and it told the state at a large layoff this week. Precision Cast parts Corporation makes high-tech metal parts for aerospace and medical industries. The company notified the state of layoffs at two separate facilities in the metro area, totaling 717 workers. The letter is dated June 4th. It was received June 8th. It was only made public on June 12th. The Precision Cast Parts announcement is the largest manufacturing layoff listed in the state's database since the pandemic began. The Oregon Clinic furloughed 820 workers in April, and the Tualatin Hills Park and Recreation District laid off 792 workers in March. Berkshire Hathaway, that's Warren Buffett's company, they purchased Precision Cast Parts in 2015 for $37.2 billion. At the time, it was Oregon's second largest publicly traded company, trailing only Nike in market capitalization. Those laid off are among the 468,700 Oregonians who have lost their jobs since the pandemic began. The Oregon Supreme Court has now vacated the judge's ruling that voided Governor Brown's coronavirus social gathering restrictions. This is the Baker County judge that found Governor Kate Brown's executive stay home, save lives, order to be invalid. Well, the Supreme Court has found the Baker County judge to be invalid in his decision. The state's highest court found that circuit court judge Matthew B. Shirtcliff relied on the wrong state law in issuing the injunction. He had ruled back on May 18th, it seems long ago, doesn't it, that the governor's executive orders exceeded a 28-day limit adopted by state lawmakers and therefore no longer valid. His decision came in response to a suit filed by 10 churches, the Pacific Justice Institute, a right-wing funded outfit, and 21 other plaintiffs against the governor. Within hours of that ruling, the governor's office appealed to the Oregon Supreme Court. They argued that Shirtcliffe overstepped his authority and his legal reasoning was flawed. That night, they put a hold on the injunction. The backdrop of this, of course, is that two Fridays ago, the U.S. Supreme Court turned away a request from a church in California to block enforcement of state restrictions on attendance at religious services. They're different cases, and they're based on different parts of the law, but they're both good to keep in mind. Also be aware, it gets beyond local news, but also be aware that this June, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to come out with some very important decisions, and we'll be watching them. And back in Oregon, Governor Kate Brown will release inmates to limit coronavirus threats in state prisons. Governor Brown on Friday told the Department of Corrections in Oregon to review inmates for possible release in order to limit the spread. She asked the department to perform a case-by-case analysis, and an agency spokesperson said that about 100 inmates meet the governor's criteria. That criteria includes inmates who are particularly vulnerable, those who have not been convicted of a crime against another person, and those who have served at least half of their sentences. Potential candidates for getting their sentences commuted must have a good conduct record for the past year and a suitable housing plan for release. The Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem is the largest coronavirus outbreak in the state. Governor Brown has asked for the names of eligible inmates by June 22nd. That's a week from today. Multnomah County Chair Deborah Corforia on Friday designated Juneteenth as an annual paid holiday for all county workers. Juneteenth, that's June nineteenth, marks the day back in eighteen sixty-five when news of the abolition of slavery reached Texas. The emancipation of the last remaining enslaved people in the United States more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Kafori encouraged county staff not just to celebrate, but also to educate themselves, and I'm quoting on the unique and difficult experiences of black employees, end quote. And another little piece of good news from the Daily Mail. Researchers have found that people overwhelmingly choose to be generous to others, even if it is at the cost of themselves and regardless of external motives. The study asked participants to give money to other people, which the team assumed would lead the subjects to anticipating something in return for their generosity. The experiment revealed volunteers were willing to hand the stranger's cash without any motivation behind it, except for the notion of helping another person. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilliland with what's next.
2: Thanks Jefferson.
0: With Multnomah County stay at home orders in place, local schools had to get creative to hold safe graduation experiences for the community. Here's Julia Oppenheimer with a glimpse into Cleveland High School's graduation.
3: Tuesday afternoon, Cleveland High School held its graduation ceremony. It was not your typical commencement. Families drove up in their cars and checked in, then proceeded to drive up to the iconic front steps of the school. There, an announcer said the student's name, music played, and they got their diploma. There were not many bystanders watching the festivities, but I managed to talk to Abby Carlson, who had just completed her walk.
4: Well, since the virus is going around, we lined up in cars, and then we went through different stations, and they gave us a flag that kind of said that we graduated, and then we got a note card, and we had to write out the pronunciation of our names. And then we went to the end of the fence and we got out and we stood in a line as the seniors and then they called us across one by one and we put the cards in different places and then we got, we couldn't touch anybody but we got a Sierra counselor, um, Jan Watt, who's a big part of Cleveland and then we were able to go stand in the front of the big steps which is like a big part of Cleveland and we had a professional photo taken and then our temporary principal Paul Cook was able to say congratulations but we still weren't allowed to touch and then we were able to get back in the car with our families.
3: So not probably what you were expecting for graduation I yeah. guess. guess. Um, how did it how does it line up? Are you feeling good? Or are you
4: yeah excited? I mean when this first all kind of went down my thought went straight to like a virtual one over like Zoom so I'm really glad they found like a way for us to walk and like at least see some of our teachers and our counselors and people that were a part of our high school lives.
3: Abby will be attending Warner Pacific College in the fall where she plans to study nursing and be on the softball team. I found Madeline Sweet and her family standing on the sidewalk across from the school cheering on some friends.
2: You could just sign up with a group of friends to graduate with even okay. though you're not necessarily walking together. I think it's as, as, yeah, as close as we can get to that. I think it's something that Cleveland has always done unique to other schools is they don't go alphabetically, they always let you sit and walk with your friends even when it's
3: that normal really graduation. How was your senior year?
2: It was good, I mean up until the end and we didn't get a senior overnight party, we didn't get to throw the papers up in the air, but I play soccer. so. Senior year was fun with my team and everything. Yeah, and then I'm actually on newspaper too, an editor this year. Yeah. So it's been a good year, but it's just been strange. It ended a little early. Ended for you a guys. little early. Yeah. It was nice because I didn't have to do finals and IB testing, where I can still get credit. But I feel like I didn't get any closure with there's so like. I miss my friends, but I know I'm going to see them, but what really is hard is all these people that I develop relationships with in class that I might not hang out with outside of school, and I didn't know it was going to be my last day, and I, so it was, yeah. Yeah. Totally.
3: You didn't get to have that, like, big senior moment where you right. say goodbye to all your friends. yeah. Are you going to college in the fall?
2: Yeah, I'm going to Western Washington
3: University. Awesome. Well, I've heard that's a really Yeah, cool. I'm excited. Do you know what you want to study?
2: Um, I would like to study environmental science with emphasis in chemistry. Or that's what I'm interested in, but who
3: knows. Are you going to change and you have to put on your cap and gown? Yeah, I have to go go home. I'm
2: just watching uh, my friends. But yeah, I'm going to have to go home and then come back at 3.15 to do mine.
3: (laughs) In these strange times, it's nice to know that the world keeps turning. Students will still graduate and make plans for college in the fall. No other class in history has had a drive-through graduation. So here's to the class of 2020. May you be as unique as the circumstances you've found yourself in so far. I'm Julia Oppenheimer saying congratulations, graduates.
0: Mingus Maps is in a runoff for City Council Position 4 with Chloe U Daily. DJ Ambush and Jefferson Smith talked with Mingus about peace, bringing people together, and taking a late contribution from the local police union.
5: Hello, everyone. This is DJ Ambush of The Numbers and X-Ray FM. In Portland, four of the five city council seats are on the ballot. There's a chance that not only will the city council become majority people of color, but there is a chance that three of the five seats will be filled by black leaders.
0: And I'm Jefferson Smith. I'm with Ambush. Mingus Maps is in a runoff with incumbent Chloe Daly for position four on the city council. Mingus received 28 and a half, actually 28.65% of the votes, just 5,700 votes behind incumbent Chloe Daly, That forced a runoff. That primary drew over 200,000, more like 212,000 votes for position four. And there's going to even be more votes in November. So it's anybody's race. Today, Mingus Maps is here with us to discuss the race, also probably discuss the current discussions around racial justice and Mingus Maps' vision for Portland. Welcome back, sir.
1: Thank you for having me. I always love to be on your show.
0: There is a moment right now, even to call it a moment might cheapen it, a movement that is well underway. Attention can be focused towards deep, hopefully lasting impact. Where do you want to focus people's attention?
1: Oh, sure. Well, thank you for this question. And it is true. This is um, truly a historic and pivotal moment. I'm an African-American man, and I can feel the weight of the moment and the stakes of this moment. Um, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to um, engage. talk to Portlanders about what this moment means. Um, and I, what I'm trying to talk about right now um, and keep us focused on as a community is racial justice. You know, the, uh, um, the work of building a more perfect union is not done until all of us are equal. Uh, um, and I want to get us to continue to work on that. I also want to emphasize peace. Um, you know, as an African-American, one thing I know is that racism fundamentally rests on a foundation of violence. And so if we want to dismantle racism, one of the things we need to do is reject violence in all of its forms. Um, The other theme I'm talking about right now is accountability, Uh, both individual accountability and institutional accountability. So I think we need to hold our police department accountable for providing the best service possible. And I think we need to hold each other Accountable for um, constructively engaging in our political processes. Um, I also want to think, you know, I want to fundamentally remake our police department. This is a unique opportunity here. I see that. Let's get this done. Um, I'm excited about going in and reworking the uh, police contract and the rules governing policing. I think this is our opportunity to fundamentally rethink public safety, and I'll be doing that. And the other thing I want to do is just remind people that the COVID crisis is still with us. And COVID is also um, an issue of racial justice. But people who are most likely to get sick and die from this disease are people of color. I think Oregonians may have forgotten that actually we have not conquered this disease yet. Indeed, we have given back most of the progress we've made over the past two months. So please be careful there. Uh, I encourage you to go out on the streets and thank you for doing that, but let's remember to social distance, let's remember to wash our hands, let's remember to wear those masks, and let's remember to uh, remember um, our most vulnerable Portland, uh, uh, both because of uh, immunity status and because of color.
5: Mingus, there's a lot of energy around, you know, everything that's happening right now. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on how some of that energy can be galvanized towards uh, organizing around the vote in the census.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, yes. Well, I, you know, uh, I, I'm a, for those of you who might not know me, I'm a political scientist by training. So what I've done for most of my life is to kind of train people about how government works and how to engage government. Um, the protest out in the street, off streets are uh, incredibly important. They've created this window of opportunity. Uh, but the close on that window of opportunity, uh, you know, it, it doesn't end at 11 o'clock at night. You know, you actually have to go to those public meetings. We have budget hearings uh, and city council set meetings happening literally. I think right now, um, as we're taping this, um, that's where we're going to make decisions about uh, um, policing and public policy. So uh, please remember to pay attention to not only what happens outside City Hall, but also what happens inside City Hall and the census. And This is one of my deep concerns too. I'm kind of from my academic research and training. Uh, I uh, I know how important the census is. It both gives us a picture of ourselves, and this is a great time to look inward to get a sense of what America looks like these days. And it also makes um, our place an incredibly important role in terms of how we allocate federal and state and local dollars. Uh, um, so I want to, I'd love to have this opportunity to remind everyone to fill out the census forms. You can actually do it online. I did it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it only took 10 or 15 minutes. Um, it is one of the most powerful things that you can do to um, actually help your community um, help itself. So please jump online, get that done. I'm afraid it's going to get lost in the COVID thing and the protest thing. It's one of these uh, important background issues that we just got to take care of.
0: Mingus, off top, I do want to ask this because I know it's been in the news and I know you've addressed it at least to some degree, but I haven't heard you talk about it. You, you probably have, but I haven't heard it. You took a, you took a $15,000 contribution from the Portland Police Association. We just we just swapped out the chief. I'm going to want to ask you about that, too. We've had uh, six chiefs since 2015. We've had one ahead of the Portland Police Union since 2010. A bunch of strong and I would argue progressive candidates have done likewise, have accepted contributions from the Portland Police Union. Uh, What were your thoughts when that transaction was happening?
1: Sure. Well, you know, um I'm. I think the police union endorsed me um, and actually it's an in-kind contribution so it's not a cash contribution. That's one of the things that's kind of fun, funny about it.
0: Yeah, they sent out a mailer. I get that. And and I know, and, I, and I've read some of your response, but I'm just curious about sort of the mindset of the discussions with them when it was going down, like when that discussion started happening.
1: You know, I've been a leader and an activist on public safety issues for a long time. I've been an innovator around bringing community policing uh, uh, to Portland. Um, if you're the kind of cop who goes to community meetings? You probably know me because I'm the guy who's you know one of the regular suspects at the community meetings, trying to pull together people to solve hyper local problems. And one of the things that I've always tried to do over the course of my career is to bring all the stakeholders to the table. Um, and you know, for me, you know, I always reach out to you know regular Portlanders and to the business district and to uh, the church and to uh, clergy. And to, you know, cops, um, because I think we all really solve problems in Portland is to kind of come together um, and use our best energies and use our best talents to, you know, solve collective problems. Um, I think that the rank of file police officers who are out there on the streets too know me for doing that. They know I'm a smart and constructive guy. Um, they know I've been a leader around bringing community policing to um, uh, to East Portland and bringing crime prevention to the whole city of Portland. Uh, you know, a thing that I think is, gets lost here is that no one in Portland is happy with our public safety. Uh, you know, residents don't like it, uh, people of color don't like it, and frankly, cops don't like it either. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I've been trying to offer, and it's, it's the thing that kind of got me in this race to begin with, is a new vision of um, taking care of each other as a community. I think that one of our problems over time is that uh, we have made the cops the center of our public safety system, and I think they should be a partner, uh, um, but we should, they shouldn't be the hub. Um, and frankly, I think that's something which rank-and-file cops know. Um, I think they want a champion who can actually change things, and um, you know, I'm trying to lead that discussion. I also think of myself as a bridge builder. Um, and if there's someone out there who can bring uh, the police and the people together um, at the table to discuss issues of police accountability um, and public safety, I think I'm the person who has, you know, uh, a good chance of making that conversation
5: well. Earlier on, you mentioned some ideas about, uh, you had some ideas about restructuring the way policing is operating right now. I am curious about that. But before getting there, I have to admit, be 100 percent honest, when I saw the uh, connection between you and the police. There was a visceral, there was a very instinctual, uh, you know, thing that popped up was, oh, this can't work for me. So I want to start there. What do you say to voters that may have seen that and their immediate response, especially voters of color? We have had very tumultuous relationships with the police department and we don't necessarily... We haven't, in the past, seen what appears to be, uh, you know, cops taking a knee and, and, and uh, kind of communicating that they are willing to listen. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a temporary uh, stave in the use of tear gas that was uh, reported, I believe, a day or two ago. But I spoke to protesters last night. Tear gas and rubber bullets were being used as of last night. It was still happening. So... When we're talking about, you know, having trust and h- how do you address that?
1: Sure. Well, um, let's let's talk about the use of tear gas and uh, uh, and the bullets. Um, obviously, that's unacceptable, especially the bullet thing. That's truly dangerous and shouldn't have happened. And if it did happen, that's, I think, a problem. Also, I point out that this is a matter of elected leadership. There is a police commissioner in town um, who should provide direction on this. Um, I think we need to have a, I don't even think we need to have a community conversation on it. I think the rubber bullets are utterly unacceptable. I think the uh, tear gas is counterproductive. Um, There are elected leaders in Portland who can fix that and should fix that. I'm disappointed that hasn't happened yet. Um, But that's one of the things that, you know, when I talk to my friends who are on city council um, and in policymaking positions, you know, that's where I'm urging them to go. Um, And listen. I'm an African American male too. I'm 6'1, 250 with a shaved head. Like there's, you know, there're not a lot of people in Portland who understand the problems surrounding uh I'm race and policing. Better than I do. I've lived this, you know, they say you have to have 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. I've been a black man for 50 years, so I have like a quarter million hours of being, you know, of practicing how to deal with racism and police. Um, And one of the things that I have learned is that if we want to make this work, we actually have to be constructive. Um, you know, we have to listen to each other. And that's what I have done throughout my entire career, is to try to bring people together to solve uh, uh, um, the problems that matter to us most. There is no way to solve the problems of policing in Portland without having the police at the table. You know, they, which doesn't mean that uh, they get a veto, um, but if they're gonna do the work of public safety, I believe we should honor the workers and have them at the table and talk about what the issues are. Okay. And I think if you talk about a police, if you talk to police, uh, um, if you talk to police in an honest, straightforward way, um, they return that to you, and you can identify the problem. You know the cops. Uh, you know the cops don't like what they're being asked to do either. They're frustrated with leadership. They don't. You know people don't trust the police, and the police don't trust their political leaders. You know this is a recipe for disaster. This is why we have uh, um, two weeks of people out on the streets every night, and a, and a and an elected leadership that seems unable to resolve the problem. If you want change, you have to embrace change. And I represent change. You know, there has been only three people on city council uh, who have ever looked like, oh no, two, people, two black men on city council. Uh, and those come from decades ago. And we face very different problems. If you want to sort of make um, leasing responsive to uh, uh, the needs of African-Americans, I really think that one of the things you should do is have an African-American
0: at the table. It, it is about time for us to wrap. I, I know that one of my, and, I, and I'm eager to do this again, I know that my um, I have had a critique that the media tends to be fight promoters because fights get clicks and fights get eyeballs. It is useful and important to get to the hard part, to avoid merely pablum and happy talk and get to what actually is going on and the decision points and where actually the choice lies. Right. And one occasionally can be disguised as the other. And I want to have that in our minds in our future conversations. But for now, let me just finish with this question. Where is a place that Chloe Udaly is getting a bad rap? Where is a place where there's a critique that you think is unfair? And if you think there's a, a critique of you that's unfair, feel free to offer that too. But I at least want to hear about something you think is unfair that people are saying about Chloe. Oh,
1: sure. Um, and uh, I don't matter here. You know, I I, I could list a hundred things that happened today that feel unfair to me. Uh, but I actually... I. I want people to actually know this and hear this um i like commissioner you i respect commissioner you i respect the values that she brings to politics i think she, she probably does get a bad rap uh um or gets treated unfairly frankly because of her gender um i think she also gets treated uh poorly because she's um not affable all the time um and frankly this is the the job she has is super tough I can understand why you might not be chipper every day uh, uh, um so what I try to do is to uh, honor her her humanity um I try to hear what she's trying to say um and then I also try to evaluate it you know um you know I, there are not a lot of places where we i think Chloe and I uh, or you commissioner you daily and I fundamentally disagree on values but I think that um U daily doesn't have a strong evaluation component to anything that she does. Um, and sometimes when you do stuff and it doesn't work, you got to actually ask the question, is this working? And if it's not working, you got to change. Um, So, you know, I I wish her the best uh, and really more, especially, I know you've done something like this before, Jefferson, uh, um, So you know how tough it is. And uh, certainly being on the campaign trail, it just infinitely increases my empathy for everyone who's had the courage to throw their hat into the ring. It is um, truly a life transforming experience. But within that, we all remain human. You know, I've never felt closer. I, ironically, the people I, uh, have, I feel most close to over the last couple of months are, you know, the candidates I've met on the campaign trail, you know, even candidates who've run against me. Uh,
0: yeah, you're going, through a, you're going through a shared experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, no one knows, what,
1: you know, no one knows what my life has been like, uh, more so than like Sam Adams uh, because we've been out. There. In fact, we kind of became a little kind of buddies out on the campaign trail, sort of doing our debates and whatnot. Uh, so it's a, human in, it's a human endeavor. One of the things I try to remember is that these people are not uh, my enemies. They're, um, we are both pulling in the same direction. Uh, we want to help. We're on the same team. Uh, uh, um, and as a leader, I try to do that. And I hope that uh, all Portlanders remember that ultimately we love our city. We want to build this city.
5: Loyal listeners, thank you for your time. Mingus Maps is running for city council position four. You can find out more at Mingus dot so com. Mingus thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Ambush. Thank you, Jefferson. Thank you. Stay man. well.
0: Thanks to Julie and thanks to Mingus for joining The Local. And congratulations to all of the 2020 graduates. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. If you have story ideas or groups who need shouts out, send us an email at local at xray.fm. And please do rate and review and share this. It's growing a little bit, and that's what we need in order to make it sustainable. Let's stick together while we're apart. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.
1: X-Ray.